So I had a knockdown drag out fight with my wife, probably the worst fight we ever had. Um, last, maybe it was Thursday morning. It was like, I disagree. No, I disagree. No, I disagree more. So I said, fine, I'm going to town. So I go to town, I'm meeting a guy at Starbucks, and I'm sitting there at Starbucks just steaming. And uh, this woman, who I don't recognize, walks up to me and she goes, you're a wise man. You're going to make a good decision. <laughs> and she walks away, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. She goes, I'm Lillian. You, you, we knew each other years ago. I just felt God tell me to tell you that. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, thanks. So then I'm with this guy, and we sit down, and he proceeds unbidden to tell me a story of an argument with his wife <laughs> and, and how he just decided, even though he thought he was right, laying your life down means that you give up your right to be right. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> just like, and so, so we talk, and he leaves, and we're sitting outside at the Starbucks, and the guy in the next table walks over, and he goes, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, this is like piling on. I'm going to throw the penalty flag. And he goes, he goes, I heard you talking about Melbourne. And he said, you know, I used to I helped start a church in Melbourne, Australia, and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and then my wife and I began to argue. <laughs> And we split, but now we're back together, and the Lord healed everything, and it took me just giving up my rights, and then God became my defender. And I'm like, okay, let me text my wife. So I text me say, I think God is saying that what, what you want to do, I'm fine with. Let's do that. Love you. Mean it. Really. Andy. So I come home, she goes, no, no, I don't need my way. And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> it's just like, so these mysterious ways that, that, that God works in where, where he taps on these people and sometimes they, they have no idea what they're doing or saying. They just, I felt like God said, you know, like this girl comes up to me out of the blue. I mean, that just shocked my whole spiritual system. And I was like in you know, awe of God, like I'm not, you know, awe of God, but I was just like, really? I mean, am I so dense that you had to whack me with a two-by-four? And there was like, yes, my son, whom I love. You <laughs> know, just like that. So I just, I love the, this part of, of just walking with God in this Easter egg hunt that we're on every day, where, where we just, we connect with him and he says things in such imaginative ways to us and through us with other people. Um, before we we're, we're going to review a bit, but does anybody have an immediate thought or a question from a time before? Was something just kind of, kind of sitting in your psyche, and you wanted to just say, "Hey, I, this this was kind of, you know, rolling around in my head, and I wanted to kind of bring that back up again." And you don't have to, and you might in thirty seconds. Go, oh, wait, 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 and then you can do it then. Okay, so yeah. Just for, for me, the, in the past couple of weeks, just hearing you explain again, really, um, uh, body, soul, and spirit. Yeah. Just talking to my wife about it. Just always, you know, growing up, it was body and soul. Yeah. But just the disconnect that I'm not body or soul, that I'm spirit has been revolutionary. And just, I feel like God's given me an epiphany or a, or a realization, of, a heart realization about it past couple of weeks where it's been real. I feel, feel a yeah. urge or a soul urge, you know, emotion, I can say, no, it's not me. 
it's just been it's just been sunk in and hit, hit real. Yeah, it gives you such leverage in life. It just does. It's like if you're in the middle of it, you have no place to lever from because you know it's you. But if you're here, you can go no. Uh, you know, emotion, I appreciate that, but actually, you're just one input. Holy Spirit, what do you say about this? God, what do you say about this? And, uh, and sometimes our spirit um, feels like mind, will, and emotions, but it's got this patina of sort of gold or spirit to it, silver to it somehow. In other words, it's, it's not like it's a foreign alien thing that, you know, speaks to us in, in a weird, you know, high-pitched voice. You know, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's us. I mean, this, this is who we are. This is our makeup. We're three-part beings. No part is better or worser. They're just all, they have different functions, and God intends us to be led by the Spirit. And, and it's, it's ill-defined whether that word spirit, I'll show you a couple of places in a minute, has a capital S or small s. It doesn't, unless it says the Holy Spirit, we don't know. And so different translations will do big or small s. If you watch, you go, oh, Darby, he's a small s guy, you know, and whatever. So, uh, so it's interesting. Any other thoughts or questions? Okay. Um, so now uh, you know that. So this this is kind of so we've done like walking the spirit several years. So I thought I'd start with this framework this year. So so this isn't like the definitive thing. It's just a good way of framing things. So remember, or for those of you who weren't here, so we're a three part being. Paul says, I pray that your spirit and your soul and your body will be preserved complete. And as you look through scripture, you go, oh, I'm not just body and soul. I'm body, soul, and spirit, or spirit, soul, and body. And so Paul talks about pneumaticos Christians. He calls them spiritual, and he wants us to be pneumaticos Christians. He says, um, mind, nat the natural man. He says, the natural man finds things of the spirit to be foolishness. The natural man goes, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, you know, that whatever, that's contrary to what I feel, or whatever. So the natural man defines things within the soul, and things from outside of the soul, over in the spirit, can seem foolish, and things from the body can seem uh, attractive, can draw, because the soul doesn't really have, it can with gritted teeth control the body, but the vast majority of mankind doesn't have gritted teeth to control the drives of the body. They tend to give in to the drives of the body as long as they don't get caught by their wife, by the law, by... And so, and so you could see, you know, the opioid epidemic, the eating epidemic, the... You, you name it. Addictions are part and parcel with the body. The body is never satisfied, never satiated. It, it becomes what's called habituated with things and it needs more. More better different, more better different, more better different. Okay, And so those, we've talked about that already. And we talked about this and we started on this last time. So Romans 8 says if we set our mind on the flesh it is death. And so Paul doesn't talk about, and God doesn't talk about right and wrong, as much as he talks about life and death. And he says, if we set our minds, so, so here's your mind, and you've got input coming in, and you have a mindset, and people walk with a mindset. And typically, the best that we can do in Christian circles that are body-soul oriented is the mindset is gritted teeth, do the right thing, obey the laws, obey, and we create a culture, and the culture then controls us. 
well, I wouldn't do that because we don't do that. We, and so, so we, we have laws that control us, and those laws can be written, they can just be understood. Um, so I was raised Catholic, and my wife was raised uh, Church of Christ, and about a year and a half into our marriage, I said, I've, I've come to this realization that the Catholics and the Church of Christ are exactly alike. And she's like, I studied about you in my cults class, buddy. <laughs> you know? And I go, no, no. I said, but with Catholics, all of your traditions are written down. And with Church of Christ, you just got to know them. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, that, that's kind of the... And, you know, that's kind of it. I mean, Catholics, it's all written down. You, you know what you do and what you don't do, and it, there's a thing and whatever. So, so basically what, what Scripture says is, look, you, your, your soul is, is Grand Central Station, your mind, your will, and emotions, and you're going to get input, and your soul has to decide how it's going to live. You have to say, I am going to put weight on the flow of the river of the Holy Spirit coming out of my, my being. In John 6, 7, Jesus says, if anyone is in Christ, a river shall flow out of By this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. And so we make then life and death choices. So, so if we say, okay, so let's, let's now think practically what does that look like, those life and death choices, and I'm really wanting to get to a certain place. And so here is a Romans 8 thing, and it says, So those who are according to the flesh, their mindset is on the flesh. So they say, what are we going to do Friday night? And they're going, and they're immediately thinking, what would give me the most serotonin, dopamine in the extreme, and oxytocin? You know, what, what they don't think in those terms, but they're thinking, what is fun? What do I want? Oh, I'd love to go to a movie. Then we could, you know, and then if you're kind of, on the darker side, then, hey, man, you know, we're going to get together, and, you know, so-and-so's got some stuff, and, you know, and, and, and then, you know, if you're darker still, then you get off into who knows what kind of stuff. Let's go honky-tonk and find some chicks, you know, and so, so you're over here in this thing, and so we create a culture against that, and the culture has right and wrongness in it, and we, we take a stand against that, and God says, that's great, that's awesome. Your heart's in the right place, but your mind should be over here. Your mind should be entering into the rest of God. Um, set their mind on the flesh is death. Mind set on, set on the spirit is life and peace. And in other words, the natural byproduct of a mind set on the spirit is life and peace. That, that is a byproduct. It comes about naturally. It, it's, it's striving to enter that rest. So if my mind, so I, I'm faced with a, I'm sitting at Starbucks and I'm faced with steaming at my wife and then God goes a few times and then I turn and I set my mind on Lord you've given this woman to me what were you think no <laughs> and and I thank you and Lord what is it that you desire and pretty soon it's just it's just easy it's and everything just works out and you know and I mean it just worked out really wonderfully actually there's a big advance in that area of our relationship um, <clears throat> so those who, so it says the mindset mindset and then it goes in in the in the and so a mindset makes an in the it works like this. If I sow a thought, I reap an act. If I sow an act, I reap a habit. If I sow a habit, I reap a lifestyle. And if I sow a lifestyle, I reap a destiny. Okay? So a thought comes like a straggler into my mind, and I either can come at it 
assess it from a mindset of the spirit or a mindset of the flesh or a mindset of the mind. Right? Sarkikos, psychikos, pneumaticos. And if I sow it, and by sowing, we haven't talked about the heart, but if I sow it, it means I think about it long enough that it goes past short-term memory and into a place where I can access that thought more. And if I entertain that thought, like a straggler knocking at your door and you invite it in, okay, Jesus was tempted in all ways, yet without sin. The thought is not sin. Even the most vile thought is not sin. It says Jesus was tempted in all ways. Can you imagine Jesus being tempted in sexual perversion? You go, oh, no, it's Jesus. It says he was, okay? So the temptation isn't sin. It's only when I invite the thought in that it, it leads to an act. I meditate on a thought and it becomes acceptable to do. It becomes enticing, it becomes okay. I do that several times and it starts to become a habit. So now it's starting to imprint on me. It's starting to become who I am. Oh yeah, I habitually get drunk. I habitually do drugs. I, I'm habitually depressed. I'm habitually worried. I'm, and so it becomes a habit. Brain chemistry begins to change and brain wiring begins to change because it, it ripples through all of our being. So brain chemistry begins to change. The, the opioid heroin epidemic has so modified the dopamine receptors in the pleasure center that people have thought for years, there is no going back from that, but there's a brand new drug on the market that has got 75% success rate now in trials. It's called NPA or NRA or something like that, not NRA, that's the National Rifle <laughs> Anyway, and so, and so when we talk about the in the, in the, that, that is where we have become sort of habitually in that mindset about something. So if we talk about pornography, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In other words, if I am in the, in pornography, and I'm just indulging the flesh, indulging the flesh, it's, I just can't please God over here. I have to step out and go into the spirit and say, God, you've got to help me. And I have to then, when that temptation comes, an immediate ambush reaction, return fire, yell ambush and get out of the kill zone, and a new habit forms. And within 60 days, this habit can be weakened, 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 broken. And this habit can be strengthened, strengthened, strengthened. But you can't break this without strengthening this. You have to use replacement therapy, right? You can't create a vacuum. Okay, so, so that's, that's uh, you know, my view how we work. It seems it works with me. That's how I work. Anyway, any thoughts about that? Any questions? Uh, yes, I see that face. So my question about all this is, I mean, this, this makes total sense to me, and, and, I, and I understand it, and I'm trying to live in this kind mm -hmm. of way. However, you know, for what I see in a radical part of the Church of Christ is that the mind is what controls. Right. And they, you know, it's they really are still looking at the spirit of foolishness, even though you know, they're, they're living out the Christian life, they're doing the best they can, they love the Lord, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, how, I guess what I struggle with is, how do I 
approach those people, live with those people, act with those people when they are firm in, you know, not under, not even entertaining that the spirit really does lead mm. because they are so engrossed <clears throat> in that logical part yeah. of the scripture. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, first of all, we always look at our own heart. And we say, Lord, if I'm judging in any way, if I, if I think I know, if I think I'm better, if I think I know, you, first my heart has to be right. Because honestly, anyone in any situation that's short of, of the fullness of God, which we're all in some ways, if someone comes at me with some kind of a know-it-all, even a very subtle, we pick up on it. I mean, we just do. And, and honestly, there are things, when I first came to Otter Creek, I was going to sit in the back and keep my mouth shut. And the first sermon I heard was how to be responsible, charismatic. And I was like, okay, you are just, this is real. And then I began to see that Otter Creek, so I had a Church of Christ mentality, which I now call judgment, but which I thought was odd judgment. Uh, I was just discerning. Um, but... But Otter Creek does stuff on the final exam, When I Was Lonely, You Visit. They do that better than any charismatic church I have ever seen, heard about, or, or been to. Far better. And so when Otter Creek stands in judgment, they're going to fare far better than a lot of other spirit-filled things. So that's one, one thing to really keep in mind, I think. I think the other thing is, is no one is just all in the head if they're Christian. The Holy Spirit is still active, still working. And, and you can see, and I think just encouraging through example and through prayer and through love and, and through say, hey, let's, let's ask God together. You know, if you get in someone's life and you're just loving with them and, and you just, the way, that, the way that you live, just let that be, you know, part of it. It's, it's like, well, let's, let's ask God together about this and, and see and just say, you know, what are you hearing? Are you hearing anything? And just, I think people go, wow, you can do, you know, you, wow, you can do that. And, and it's hard because sometimes this, the, the structures become such a crust. You know, it's so encrusted um, and it can be very frustrating. But <clears throat> I think unless I'm Jesus and they're a Pharisee, then love and understanding and encouragement and demonstration not demonstration like, now check this out. I'm going to get a word from God right now. But, but just demonstration of love. And demonstration of a, of a love relationship with the living God makes people jealous for that. Um, and I think that's, I think provoking to jealousy through love and just, you know, if, if, if the Spirit is alive in me, it's going to affect a Christian who wants to know God. It's just, it's just got to be. But I just know, checking my own heart, is the first thing that happens in charismatic circles is, is you come into the things of the Spirit and then you start judging people who haven't. And it's like, oh, you know, this is going to be such a backward step for you. And so it's just, oh my gosh, what do I have that I haven't been given as a gift? And if I've received it as a gift, it ought to humble me. I ought to be going, God, I don't know why why you chose me, why I stumbled into this love relationship with you, but I'm so thankful for it. You know, I think it's got to be that. Uh, does that help at all? I don't know. <clears throat> um, 
so this idea of being in the or the mindset is this weird word I think I shared this last time because it combines yes ma'am um, no no it's perfect question because so, it's in your heart and you're well, so beloved it is so it just said for us to check our heart and so is our heart Spirit, soul, or body. Yes. Um, we are going to get into the heart. Because okay. um, the Bible says a lot of different things about your heart. Yes, it does. And and I skipped the heart because that would be like three. We could do a whole semester on the heart. Um, but I have to, you are what your heart is. Right? Proverbs says, watch over your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the tutsa'oth, the, the things that propel your life. And so, I'll just give it a little thing. If you look at body, soul, and spirit, the heart is a, is a soil surface that lodges between the soul and the spirit. And your heart is like a garden and it produces whatever you plant in it, reproduces whatever you plant in it. And you are your heart. You can't not be your heart, what your heart is. And God judges the heart. That's the thing. Like he said to Adam and Eve, tend the garden. That exact same wording is used to tend your heart. Okay? So we'll come back to it again, how you do that. But basically, it's planting, watering, reaping. Um, so, st so step one of this practicality, I'm, I'm in trying to be practical now. Step one, so I'm so geeky that I love the theory of all this and sometimes I can just, and, and people have to slap me and say, you need to just get real practical. Jen mostly, Andy. Um, so we on purpose change our orientation. We literally say, and I, I like just, Lord, you know, just, I have, to, I have to see myself doing that. So I'm sitting at Starbucks, this happens, this happens, and I go, Lord, what do you say? What should I do? What do you want? And immediately it's, if you lay down your life, greater love has no man for his wife than he lays down his life. And I'm like, oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> okay, um, so that's number one. Let's look at number two. So then, brethren, um, so then what do we do? So first, step one is orientation. Step two is, if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So deeds is a sustained way of acting. It's a habitual thing. It's not just individual deeds. It's a structure of deeds, okay, praxis. Okay, and so it says, if by the Spirit you're putting that to death, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit, they are sons of God. You've not received a spirit of slavery, but the, you, you've received a spirit, and John's going to come up here and just minute testify about that piece of things. Um, the spirit himself says, you're my child, you're beloved, you're my son. And so your spirit is crying out, Daddy, Daddy, I never knew you as Daddy. You were always God Almighty, you were always on a throne, you were always distant, you are always something else. And, and the, the, the primary thing that the Holy Spirit says inside of us is, He's Papa. Find the most, the most intimate word for Father and call Him that. That's what He wants. He wants you to enter his courtroom without knocking. You don't need an appointment. He's not busy with China. You know, it's like, it's like, no, this, this is a God who, 
you know, and if your children then heirs, heirs according to the promise. So, so step two, so step one is orientation. Step two is by the S, big or small spirit. We put to death this fleshy modality, this way of living. So we don't do it with gritted teeth, although it may take some gritted teeth, but we stand over here and we say, Lord, would you help me? Would you diffuse the energy in this? Would you, Lord, teach me how to overcome the temptation? And he might just say, flee youthful lust. That's the way you overcome this. And so he'll give us strategies. He'll give us power. He'll, he'll literally intercept in the middle of a temptation and create an escape for us. Why? Because no temptation, test, or trial has overtaken you. That's not common to man, but God is faithful. It will not allow you to be tempted, tested, or tried beyond your ability, but with it will supply the means of escape that you can endure it. Okay? So he gives endurance and escape. Absolute promise, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So in the midst of it, by the Spirit, we're putting it to death. We don't have to go looking for it. It comes looking for us. And when it, when it pops up, then it's fair game. right? I don't have to kill every coyote, but if a coyote comes to my backyard, it's fair game comes after my dog. Okay, so by the Spirit. Then we seek to be led by the Spirit in all times. So it's not just in, in times of trial do we cry, God help, oh help. But it's, I'm going to seek to live over here. I'm going to seek this when I'm driving. I'm going to seek this. I'm going to let my mind rest over here. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take one half of one verse and as I fall asleep I'm just going to think about it and say Jesus what does this mean for you what does this mean for the two of us and and just let so I'm going to I'm going to learn to let the spirit to understand the voice of the spirit we're going to talk about that I think next time the three screens um, we're going to talk about that more next time. So seek to be led and and number four is we draw close to Father God God the Father is identity, provision, and protection. That's what fathers provide. And that's what God the Father provides. Identity, who am I really? <clears throat> I'm, I'm actually not a sinner saved by grace. I know that sounds very churchy. It, it pops up about every third Sunday. <laughs> I just want to stand in the back and say, but you were washed, but you were saved, but you were cleansed. If you come at God as a poor sinner, so poorly shod, crawling into the kingdom, God's like, what in the world did I die for? You're a son. Come on in. Don't knock. Hey, come in. Don't knock. You're a son. Okay? So, so the first one then, number one, which is on the last slide, is on purpose change your orientation. Number two, by the Spirit, put these ways of living that, that as God brings them up, there's a time and a place for everything. You don't go after every single thing that's wrong day one. You will, he began a good work, he'll complete it. He'll bring stuff up in the right time, in the right way. And when he brings it up, it is easy and ripe for picking. You don't pick all the tomatoes in your garden, you only pick the red ones. Unless you want fried green tomatoes, of course, which is an aberration. Um, so seek to be led at all times. I'm kidding about that. And draw close. Uh, see yourself as a, as a son and heir of God. And come on up, John. And, and great familiarity. Um, 
so I wanted to yeah, grab a seat and then we're going to, right after this slide. I forgot I stuck this one in this morning. So it's not just a Romans 8 thing. So as you, as you look through other scripts, you go, oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. Oh, there it is again. So I thought I'd just pop up Galatians for you. And so he goes, look, you foolish Galatians, blah, blah, blah. having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Um, because you're sons. He's cried, Abba, Father. So he's saying, look, guys, you began in the Spirit. What, what's happening to you? Why are you going back to this thing again? And then a little later he says, look, if we walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. The flesh sets the desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. Live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. And so he's, he's saying, and then he goes right into, now the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, right? This is, this is right before that. And so it, it, as you look through the New Testament, you go, well, it's kind of everywhere. I mean, it's, it pops up again and again. Sometimes it's not stressed. Sometimes Paul is stressing about uh, his imprisonment and he needs money. But, but when he turns back and touches on the gospel, he's always talking about this stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go to you right now. Okay. So... Um, That's the sparkle there. I see the sparkling. Uh, so I asked John just to share a little bit about um, kind of the most recent changes in his walk that have to do kind of to this. So ready to go. Okay, good morning. My name is John Sipkowski. This is my badge. <laughs> and I'm delighted this morning to be able to share with you my journey to God. I'll give a little background first. My dad was Catholic and my mom was Church of Christ. In those days, when you married a Catholic, you had to agree to have your children raised in the Catholic Church. So for the first few years of my life, I went, I went to Mass with my father. And going to the cathedral, we were in New York, big cathedral, uh, it was very religious just to walk in there. The choir was singing in the background, the organ was playing. But there was really no closeness to God. Actually, more emphasis was placed on Mary, Holy Mary, Mother of God. So I never really drew close to God during that time. Eventually, when I was about eight, my dad gave up on religion altogether, and I began going to Church of Christ with my mother. My mother lived in fear. Her religion was like a light switch. When she'd sinned, the light was turned off. And when she say, God, please forgive me, the light was turned back on again. And so her life was a constant on and off, on and off. And she lived in dread fear that she would die before she could say, God, please forgive me. And so I picked up on that fear. And to me, God was the judge. The judge, far off, waiting for me to be able to judge me, to either give me life or condemn me to hell. When I was 12 years old, I was baptized, and my mother gave me a King James Bible. And in that Bible was a little orange card, and she had written, either this book will keep you from, reading this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from reading this book. And so I read the King James, never understood a word. But I was baptized. I'm free from sin. I'm saved. And a 12-year-old made up his mind, I will never sin again. 
and I tried. I struggled for years to do away with sin. Here I am, a young teenager filled with hormones going crazy and I'm not going to sin. Well, you know how that worked out. And so eventually I gave up. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Now I didn't actively go into a sinful life. I just kind of went on. Well, eventually I went to Abilene Christian College and one day two young men came into me to try to straighten me out. And so I said to these two young men, I really appreciate the courage that you had to come and talk to me. But I know I'm going to hell. Let me go in peace. And I lived with that. And then I met Dell. Now Dell was Methodist, a good Methodist girl. Went to the youth alley rallies and all that wonderful stuff. But I had to convert her to Church of Christ, right? <laughs> <clears throat> and so I went and bought myself a Bible that, that was called the New English Translation. And it was written in sentences and paragraphs. And I began to read. And I discovered amazing things like grace and mercy. And so I gave up all my, my life I had of trying to live without sin and, and I learned that God would give me mercy and grace. But still there was no closeness. There was simply that he was not against me anymore like I had believed. And so I began to teach youth, youth minister, not paid, just volunteer. Because I didn't want these teenagers, particularly 11th and 12th year olds, uh, grades, 11th and 12th grades, to have to live what I lived through. And so I tried to teach them mercy and grace. We did that for what? Three generations of kids. And that went on through our life, but I still do not have that close relationship. When I prayed to God, basically it was, God, please forgive me of my sins. And then, one day, I was invited to a freedom prayer session. And in that session, Andy was with me, in that session, something amazing happened. James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And so God drew near to me. I felt it in my, in my body. I felt it. I felt this wonderful, warm bear hug from God. It was just, I just wept. And the Spirit, when I was baptized, Acts 2.38 says, the gift of the Holy Spirit, but I never felt it. And I did at that moment. I felt a spirit. It was warm and soft and it was marvelous. And for the first time in my life, first time in 74 years, I felt God close to me. It was no longer the judge out there. It was now my father. He loved me. I'm his son. He wanted to be close to me. I wanted to be close to him. And that, that moment has changed my life. My prayer now is not, God, please forgive me. My prayer is now, thank you, Father. Thank you for loving me, me, personally, me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you that now I'm your son and we have that relationship. And now many times when I'm driving the car or walking, I feel that 
warm bear hug. And it's changed my life. And I thank God forever. Thank you. Thank you. Does anybody have a question? Questions? Or a comment, a thought? Yeah. Do you ever feel like you fall away from that for a moment or two at any time during the last couple months? Oh, yes. you repeat the question? Yes, she said, is there, is there any time since that experience that I, I feel like it's moved away? Of course. And so I simply close my eyes and feel that warm hug again. And it's back. I do that all the time now, all the time. So if you ever see me just going, you'll know what I did. <laughs> feel that warm hug. Anything else I can answer for you? There had to be um, an openness for you to receive that, though. Because that's sort of, you know, if you grow up with what you've grown up, it's a little out of the box. Well, it's true. It's true. Um, I had to. And, and that, that came from classes like this and classes on the, that I realized it's possible. And previously, I had never known it was possible. So I came in my prayer session with an openness. I wanted this for the first time. I want this. And of course, when I wanted God, he wanted me instantly. Exactly, and, and the, the, the verse previous to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, it says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And so I, I now do, when I'm tempted, I do what Jesus did. Go away from me, Satan, when, when Peter tempted him. Go away from me. And so I actually verbally say that. Get away, Satan. Get away from me. And it works. At least most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else? If you had the opportunity to talk to those 11th and 12th graders again today, what would be different than what you told them years ago? Great question. Yeah. Good question. Very excellent question. So the question was, if you had a, so the recorders, if you had a chance to talk to those 11th and 12th graders again, would you say anything different? Yes, I would. Remember I said I was trying to teach them grace and mercy, which is good, which is wonderful. But I never emphasized to them to draw near to God. I didn't know you could. And if I could do it all over again to teach those three generations, that would be the primary emphasis. You draw near to God. Let Him draw near to you. You build a relationship with your Father, and then the grace and mercy just flows. Anything Thank else? you. Oh. Just my head. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, so it must be 1043 um, so we're not gonna we're gonna come right back to this we keep bouncing off of this and then we run out of time each time but it's wonderful maybe it just is creating thirst but 
Um, how do we make that happen in our lives and, and or cause it to happen or encourage it to happen or create a fertile ground for it to happen or whatever wording you want to use? And the idea that, that if it's hard, if it takes a mystic, you know, if it takes a PhD, if it takes years and months and, you know, fasting for if, if if it were that hard, you know, a select few would do it. And, and over the centuries of the church, there was always a select few who everyone looked at as the monks who are, you know, camping on top of a pole for 30 days and sleeping on a bed of, you know, there, there's all this, the sort of the mystical, and every religion has its mystics and its, its deep practitioners. And, and I think that's a bunch of bull, honestly. I think that if it were hard, then we couldn't do it. God would be unjust. But, but in fact, he's chosen the poor to be rich in faith. In other words, it doesn't take brains, it doesn't take money, it doesn't take success. In fact, those things may mitigate against this. What it really takes is just a heart that says, I want, I want you, Lord, and he'll find a way to connect with you. I mean, he just does. That's just the way he does things. And so, um, yeah, this is really true. If we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And part of that drawing near, and we're going to come right back to this, part of our drawing near is this. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know all of this, all of this about God, know epignosis, heart knowledge. I pray that what is it that keeps me from knowing it? The eyes of my heart don't see it. I don't, I don't grasp it on the inside, the place where truth lodges inside of me. I'm having trouble grasping that. And it doesn't say, I pray that your mind would be enlightened. It doesn't say, I pray that you'd understand Greek and Hebrew so that you can exegete your way into it. It doesn't say, it just says exactly what John demonstrated. He, he had a, a strong desire to draw near. And when we dealt with some of the, the blocks or the hindrances or the, the, the lies that I believe about God, the, the things that keep me from drawing near. So mine, mine was just like John's. Maybe it's a Catholic thing. I don't know. But, but, but I was a young 20-something living alone in Germany. No TV, no radio. No, I had a Bible. That was it. And uh, I was so tempted to go down to the prostitute's in Frankfurt, and I just I said I, I'm not going to do I can't do that. I was smart enough to know if I start down that road, whatever, and so I just started reading my Bible, and that happened. That happened to me. It happened over over a space of about four months of just reading and saying, God, what is it? Why why can't why do you feel far away? And He showed me. It was it was for me. I saw Him like my dad, demanding, verbally abusive, distant busy with other things. And, and I just couldn't get past that picture, and I couldn't. And so Jesus was, was cool, but it never dawned on me that any of those guys up there wanted to have a conversation, a real-time conversation with you. They're not human and their first language is in English, but they can communicate in ways far superior to English. Because like, like in, in our session, you in an instant you didn't hear words, you just felt the reality of the presence of Father God. And we just watched with our jaws open as you were just going, oh! And it's just like, yes, and the Spirit comes alive, and the eyes of his heart opened, and this stuff 
just flooded. It was there all the time, but he just couldn't see it. It just flooded in, flooded in. But it, for me, it wasn't a bam. It was like a slow growing awareness. And for me, it was a, I began by saying, okay, I'm going to uh, try to come to see you, God, Papa God, I started calling him Papa God. Um, and I would close my eyes and let the eyes of my heart guide me to his throne room. And and I would I would like, okay, I feel distracted. Okay, I'm gonna set that aside. And I and for me, I, I just created a scene. I was in a market and I was trying to get get to the palace where he was. So I could set aside all the stuff in the market, all the busyness of my life. And I would just set that aside and say, okay, I think and, and I'd just say, God, can I come in? And and the first couple times it's like, I don't know if I should and blah blah. And then finally I don't know, maybe for me as a few weeks later, it's like, oh, and I come in, whoa, and, and just, I just felt so loved and so accepted. And for me, Jesus kind of took me in because I was afraid. You know, I said, Jesus, would it be okay if you and I went to see the Wizard of Oz? <laughs> and, um, and, and sometime later, maybe six months later, you know, I'd always say, thank you, Lord, yeah, I've got to go now. And finally he said, why do you ever leave? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm inside of you. Let's do life together. What, why do you ever think you're apart from me? You and I have become one. And it's like, really? Yeah. And so to this day, I mean, I could just right now close my eyes and I'm, I'm just right with God. Just in His presence. If I mess up, I don't feel condemnation. I feel um, support. I feel Romans 7. Paul goes, wicked man. You know, I do the thing I don't want to do and I hate it. And God says, I do too. Come on. It's not about sin anymore. Not that it was unimportant. It was so important I dealt with it. It's about our relationship. Let's just, let's just connect. The more in love with me you get, the less sin is even attractive. So let's just, you know, let's just walk together. Let's do things together. So I do silly things like if I go on a trip, I, I clean off the seat next to me and pat it and say, you know, come on, let's go. You know, I mean, I do stuff like that because I need to do things that remind me of his presence, even if they're silly things. Okay? Next time, we'll pick this up again. Bless you.